0: Welcome to our Transgender School podcast.
1: We're here to talk about diverse transgender identities and experiences so that we can all be better allies and advocates.
0: We'll also discuss current events, welcome guests, and share actions you can take to support trans people.
1: I'm Bridget, and my daughter Jackie came out as a transgender woman about four years ago when she was 19 years old. I was totally unprepared, but I have learned a lot since then. And now Jackie and I are passionate about sharing what we've learned.
0: When I came to terms with being trans, I realized that I absolutely needed to transition, but coming out was very stressful. Now that a few years have passed, things have gotten somewhat easier and I wanna help other trans people navigate their own unique experiences. Hello everybody
1: and welcome back to the Transgender School Podcast. We have a very special topic for you today that's a little different from what we normally do and we're really excited to talk about it. And I'm a little nervous to talk about it, to be honest, because Jackie and I didn't prep a lot for this and we're going to share just honestly from our experiences about parent-child or parents and their adult kids Conflict and how, what causes those conflicts, and maybe we'll come up with some tips now that Jackie's older 24 right we've kind of navigated some rocky waters over the years and see if we have some tips now I have prepared for this in a couple ways I've read a bunch of articles and thought found them fascinating so I'm gonna bring up some of the things that I found in the articles but I also was a communication studies professor for 28 years so talked a lot about this in the classroom Jackie what are you thinking about the topic how are you feeling about
2: talking about this I was gonna say it's not true that we didn't prepare. You prepared a lot. I didn't prepare at all, which I think um, we should be honest about and be consistent with a lot of our work.
1: Well, yeah, but sometimes we talk, we spend time talking about what we're going to talk about before, and this time we really didn't.
2: Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's true. We didn't really do any crap cool. on this one.
1: Yeah, but you know what? We've had 24 years of being... <laughs> Parent and child, and parent, adult, child, and so we're going to draw from that. And I have no doubt that you'll have some things to say.
2: So what oh, I'm probably do... going to wish you gave me a list of things not to talk. <laughs> well,
1: we can always edit. We don't want you to know that we do edit. We rarely edit, actually, but we can if something really, you know, problematic comes out. But probably you're going to get. Her.
2: I won't let her <laughs> edit out any of the good stuff on this one.
1: We want to give I'll you, I'll you the raw sure truth. Yes, I'm with Jackie. We want to give you the raw truth because we want to help you. Parents, we want to help you get along with your kids, whether they're adults, whether they're teens, any age. If you've got a young child, this is going to help you as your kids get older, we promise. Um, And whether your kid is trans or not, by the way, we're hoping to reach a broad audience of people who just want to get along and understand each other. So, Okay. So this relates to everybody. And we were going to do mother-daughter. And then we're like, but as I was reading, I thought all of this relates to dads and sons and non-binary parents and non-binary kids and everybody. So this is for everybody. All right. So I'll start with some of the things that I found. So I kind of like looking at things on a little bit of a spectrum, like from So the first one would be from control to autonomy, from parent control to autonomy for the child. And so in a lot of the reading, I did it said that one of the biggest tensions between parents and their kids is that parents have a tendency to want to control everything, right? And that when their kids are young, they want to pick what sports they play or that they play sports in general, or they are super involved in their kids' lives, in their academic choices, in their friends, in their everything, their activities. And that That as kids grow older, they really feel a need for autonomy, and they need to develop their unique identities and do the things that they feel called to do and that they're interested in doing, and that this tension is constantly creating challenges for parents and kids. What do you think about that? And go for it. Tell whatever stories you want, because I'm sure I've been a controlling parent, and I still am in some ways, and I don't want to be. So go ahead, Jackie. Jackie.
2: I think that's a really interesting way of framing it Um, and it definitely makes sense with a lot of my experience throughout my childhood. I think that for as long as I can remember I always had a sense of wanting some autonomy and that definitely only got stronger as I got older. I think one of the things as a trans person that I didn't really realize at a younger age was like I had this desire for autonomy and I had this desire to live my own life and be who I wanted to be, but I didn't really like know what that looked like. I didn't really know what that meant or how I could actually get there. So I would just kind of do whatever seemed like the most accessible thing I could do to have some sort of autonomy, whether that's going out and wandering around the city or uh, I'll be careful about what exactly I say, because I know we (laughs) have some families who listen to our podcast, but Suffice it to say, I think I sought autonomy in all sorts of ways, all sorts of often unhealthy, dangerous, destructive ways. And I know it's a cliche and I know a lot of trans people probably have a similar story, but I think a lot of that for me was trying to figure out getting to that point of, oh, this is who I want to be. I am a woman. I feel like a woman. I've always wanted to be a woman and that's the autonomy I was really looking for. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And some of the other stuff was fun and interesting, (laughs) everything in between, but that autonomy really, that desire was always there. It just took me a long time to figure out what I was really looking for. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: I can see that now. And I think when our kids are young for parents, we feel so responsible for keeping them safe. Right. And Shaping their values and teaching them to be good people, and we cross the lines into that kids need to learn things on their own and figure things out on their own, and they need the freedom and the space to speak their truth and you know you're going right into using being trans as an example, but I think it which is important and I think it applies to like everything you know we forced you to play sports let's just be honest right, and that was always a source of tension and conflict. We forced you to play a musical instrument. I don't know how you feel about those. I I shouldn't say forced. You know, I don't know if you feel like you would use the word for, I mean, it was strongly for both you and your sister. Like, I don't know, encouraged, forced, demanded. I think
2: think that's such a complicated issue because on one hand, there's so many kids who don't have, on one hand, it's important to upfront recognize that Every one of those things is is an absolute privilege. Having -hmm, having mm -hmm. the privilege of a parent who can pick you up and drop you off from after school sports practices that are miles away from your school and that are part of some separate league that you have to pay to be a part of. Having parents who can put you in musical lessons, having parents who can do all of those things is such a privilege that most children in the world don't have access to. So I just feel like it's always important to preface it with that. And then I think, of course, there's my individual experience and the sort of, you know, give and take of you guys wanting to create a certain structure for my life and wanting to teach me certain values and me wanting to be a child and do things that children want to do that are impulsive, like staying home and playing video games and watching TV (laughs) all day instead of doing things. And, you know, I mean, I think, I don't know if this is the answer you expected, probably now that I'm 24 it is, but like, I think there are a lot of things where, I wanted to do something else as a kid. I wanted some autonomy. It's probably a good thing that I didn't have that autonomy as a kid. (laughs) There's probably a reason that you don't have complete legal autonomy over your own life until you're 18. Because I think that there, I mean, your, your prefrontal cortex isn't remotely done forming by the time you're 18, but it's really not formed before you're 18. And I do think that I am at a point in my life where I acknowledge that I was very privileged to have parents who created that structure in my life and who had the stability and the economic uh, privilege to be able to give me that structure and give me those skills. And even if I don't still pick up a guitar today, and even if I don't play a sport today, I think having that structure and understanding that you have to work with other people, you have to learn new skills and having those sorts of basic life skills is very transferable to a lot of things that I still do in my life today. And it, I think definitely created a foundation of having structure, having things that I was responsible for. And that was very important. Again, there's also (laughs) always going to be, and I know that's not necessarily the answer we're looking for for this podcast, but I do think it's important to say, but I think there's always going to be conflict through those things. And I think that's part of the process and some amount of conflict between parents and kids is probably healthy. I think it's actually really dangerous for parents to never have conflict with their kids. I mean, I've had friends whose parents tried to prioritize being friends with them over parenting them, and it really wasn't good. And I think there's an important distinction to draw when it comes to being trans, because when it comes to something like having your kid play a sport, if they're able bodied, and you have the privilege to have them play a sport, even if they don't want to, there's, there's a big difference between those two things. If your kid is trans, that's, That's something where no matter how young they are, you don't have authority or power over that. That is absolutely their own thing Mm -hmm. to determine. And I think Mm -hmm. it probably wasn't the guitar lessons or the lacrosse or the soccer or the baseball. It was you not letting me cut my hair and you not Mm -hmm. letting me get my ears pierced. And Mm -hmm. those Mm -hmm. things that I may not have realized were me trying to present in a more feminine way, but were just intuitive desires to express myself that I had that were not allowed. And so I think there's a really important point in drawing a distinction between allowing your child to express themselves and allowing them to be who they are and to express their own identity, but also creating some sort of structure and some sort of sense of responsibility in their life, even if they're not always happy about it. And and those are two very different things. And you have to try to do both those to the extent possible.
1: Yeah. Those are excellent examples, Jackie. I think that really clarifies that the lines are blurry and it's hard to figure these things out. And when you're a parent, you know, sure there are all kinds of books and guidelines, but you have to find your own way. And each child is so different. And so we know you and your sister could not be more different human beings, right? So we have to adapt to our child and we have to figure out where, those boundaries are of yes, this is keeping my child safer, exposing them to positive opportunities and things that'll help them develop as a person versus controlling who they are and what they need. And if and I always say if I could go back, I would have said, and and I know so many parents now with trans young kids who are like, I always said, grow your hair, wear a dress, you know, whatever, wear whatever you want. And I regret that's one of my biggest regrets is that I didn't understand that at the time. So I did. You know, you are unique, Jackie, because you are so strong and you push so hard. You'll admit that right <laughs> Like when you want something. And so I don't know if you remember, but there was a long period where you had long hair. And I never in a million years thought it could be because you were trans. Like as we've always said, I had no idea until you came out and you were 19. Now looking back, it's like, duh, there were, you know, well, of course I, I should have thought
2: that. I remember having a specific fight over how long my hair was allowed to be. Mm-hmm. Is you would let it, you would let me grow it longer than you wanted me to. And this is you you and dad. I'm not just putting this all on you. You you would let it you would let me grow it longer than you wanted to let me grow it but you wouldn't let me grow it as long as I wanted to grow it because I wanted Mm -hmm. to just let it keep growing and see how long it could get and that was never on the table even remotely
1: yes yes it was it it got to a certain point not as long as mine is right now or no it got to
2: just bear you you, the absolute limit was once it started to get to like anywhere near my shoulders it was absolutely I have pictures of you with it you know
1: all the way down but yeah yeah, I know. I know. So, so hopefully that's instructive on control versus autonomy, right? Some of our personal thoughts and experiences, you have to take what you will from it. If I could go back, I would have been less controlling and that would have helped Jackie or we don't know, but I suspect that that might've helped Jackie to come out earlier and not have to grapple with this for so long and come out at 19. So that's our take on Well, and that. I think
2: part of I think part of what you're seeing us do right now for the audience um, with this back and forth over, uh, I let it get that long. No, we let it get that long is really important to identify. And this is something that I have seen almost universally when talking to friends and loved ones about their experiences with their parents is, there's always going to be two completely different subjective memories of the experience. Um, And I have found that in most cases, when a kid will bring up something that was traumatic for them as a child that a parent said or did the most common response that they get from a parent and parents this is really important because it just goes to show how subjective it is and the truth is probably somewhere in the middle but this is not a good way to respond is i don't remember that yeah that's the response that kids especially queer kids almost universally get when they bring up an early experience of being invalidated Or being controlled or having their identity controlled by their parents, the response is almost always universally, I don't remember that. And the truth may be, I don't remember it that way, or I don't remember it because I don't want to remember it. But just hearing that, I don't remember it, I know that's something that really stings for a lot of queer people. And so that's a good thing for parents to be aware of as well.
1: Yeah. That's really helpful. I don't know if you've said that to me
2: before. Jackie. I don't I don't think that's something that we've run into a lot. I think you've been pretty open about acknowledging it. That's more something that I've noticed like okay. with parents who are really maybe wanting to think they're accepting or yeah. are still holding some really not accepting beliefs or maybe not wanting maybe they're accepting now, but they're not wanting to own up to what happened in the past in the way that yeah. you have. And I know it's been very hard for you to do. I think that's a common way to do that is I'm accepting now, but no, no, I don't remember that. That, that didn't right. happen the way you think it did. Right. Um, and I think it's important to not do that to your kids.
1: So do you think it's helpful or healing in some way for the parent to acknowledge that?
2: I do. I know, I know it wasn't easy for you, but I mean, I really do think the fact that we can sit here today and you can say the way I responded when you first came out. And obviously we've had this conversation a million times, so I don't need it anymore, but like, Having that conversation where you said to me, like, I'm sorry, and this this was wrong. I should have been more accepting. I shouldn't have responded this way. That's a big deal. I, I really mm-hmm. do think that that's an integral part of how close we are today and the trust that we're able to have for each other today.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and
2: I don't think our relationship would be the same without that. Yeah.
1: And I just want to say to parents out there, you can always do that. It's never too late. I mean, we can't guarantee that it will it will repair things to the extent that it has for Jackie and me or for anybody else, but you can try. You can always say, I'm sorry. You can always say, I posted something on social media that I found that I really liked that was something about like... It, you can, you don't have to be ashamed to admit that your choices before were coming from a place of ignorance. You didn't know when you, when you know better, you can do better. All those cliches, you know, like we can always say that and why not? You know, it's all about the, having the, I think every parent wants to have a loving, close relationship with their kids. And that's what we have to prioritize over our ego and our belief in, what we think, you know, happened that someone else sees a different way. I, I so agree with you that everything is subjective and memories. We know memories are reconstructed from our, our brain and what we think happened to what we perceived in in any given moment. We're having a totally different experience, so we're going to remember it differently, you know, and I think it's really important to remember those things. And what we're talking about now kind of leads into, really nicely leads into the next kind of continuum or spectrum that that came to me, and I'm using my own language on things. There was a lot of academic language, but I just want to talk about it informally, that to me I would describe as affirming versus critical, And this is one that makes me cringe to even talk about. And then I'm really curious what you're going to say, because I think I was critical. I think I could be pretty critical. And I like to see, you know, it's like, also these issues really get at like how we define ourselves in the world versus how we really are and how I like to present myself. Like I, I, you know, people who know me, I think I like to present myself as very kind and nice. And right, I was the professor who my students could talk to. And, you know, I want to be the cool, fun mom who's nice to everybody. And yet the truth is like, when we talk about things like what you said about your hair, I'm sure it's very critical. And I'm sure he told you a million times, like, oh, you would look so much better with short hair. It doesn't look good. Do you really want to wear those clothes? I mean, you know, whatever critical of, your effort in school critical of everything in your life and i just don't understand that because i love you i think you're amazing i think you've always been amazing why is there this drive for parents to like nitpick their kids versus just and and this is what was in the literature jackie that like If you want to have a good relationship with your kids and most of our relationship with our kids is as adults, like that 18 years goes by like this people, trust me. And when they're 18, if you've been like critical and judgmental, they're not going to want to hang out with you anymore when they don't have to, this is hard stuff. And I'm in this new stage where it's like, oh man, I was so critical. And why can't we just be affirming? And if they like it, it's fine. If it's not going to kill them, if it's not dangerous, if it's their choice, if it's clothes, whatever expression, why can't we just be, or their choice of sports or major, whatever. Like I had so many students in college that were like, oh, my parents are disapproving of my major. Like that's what you love and what you want to do. It sounds crazy to me now. What do you think about all this, Jackie? Affirming versus critical.
2: I think that we project onto other people, especially the people closest to us, the things that we feel about ourselves and our own insecurities. Mm -hmm. So I think as much as you may not have wanted to be critical to me, I think the reason the reason that people correctly perceive you as a very nice, generous, kind (laughs) person is because I think you and a lot of other people, particularly women, are socially conditioned to be very hyper aware of how you're perceived. And I think that that's something that a lot of mothers in particular experience and experience transferring that onto their children, especially their daughters. Um, but even you thought I was your son, you, you still clearly transferred that on to me to a degree. But I think that's it's not your fault as an individual. I think it's just how we are as humans is we have these insecurities and we tend to project them out onto other people. So if you are someone who thinks a lot about how other people perceive you and wanting to make sure that you are perceived in a positive way by other people and you have a kid, then you're going to be really concerned about how people perceive your kid. And you are going to, in you know, subconscious or kind of subtle ways, really project that onto your kid and, and try to control them in certain ways to affect how people do perceive them. And it's, In the process, you'll teach them to be very concerned about how people perceive them and they will either live the rest of their life like that or they'll deal with it and get therapy and kind of move to a more moderate ground.
1: (laughs) You seem to have overcome that to a great extent because you are honestly much better than me at this point in our lives about being your true self and not being as concerned about what people think of you do you or yeah, maybe I that's just my fine. perception I don't
2: no, no 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 I, I think that's probably correct I think it yeah it's not easy I mean that's probably one of the hardest things I've had to do both with coming out and like mm-hmm. totally non-trans things like just in in my work I mean I, mm-hmm. I my work whether it's campaigns or whether it's policy work can be very confrontational mm-hmm. and it's kind of the nature of the way I am and and the work I've chosen to do and the way I've chosen to live my life that there are always going to be some people who don't like me, who think I suck for (laughs) lack of a better phrase. And I can't live every day thinking about those people and and caring about what they think about me. I have to, I have to have a inner sense of who I am that that grounds me that, that I am committed to. Um, And that, that has to be good enough. Well, I
1: admire that in you, and I think that I think your dad was maybe more of an influence in
2: that way because I think he's more
1: like you in that way
2: <laughs> so I think there's a there's a ba- there's a balance there yeah there's there's value in understanding how other people perceive you and being self aware and it's not completely a bad thing, but it is something right. that can always be taken too far like everything and and I think right. not caring what other people think about you can also be taken too far to the point of not being right. self aware and being you know, and and not that you or dad go to the extreme. I think you're both very much in the, in the same normal people realm, but um, (laughs) I I do think that both of those can be taken too far. And it's always about finding some sort of balance there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Anything else on, I want to, I have the next topic in mind, but I just want to make sure that you have the opportunity to share with people anything else on this, because um, we've used some examples about the, my criticisms. Does anything else come to mind that could be helpful for parents to hear about how controlling we were? And you're free to talk about your dad too. <laughs> I think your dad was, or not, we're not on controlling. We're on affirming versus criticism, but we can talk about it all. I think your dad, maybe not, but to me, he seemed more critical and more controlling than I was, you know. I think there were the other, differences. Yeah. Although very and loving were, and a good dad. So just to say too, but yeah, yeah what do you think? No, about I think that? you
2: were both, I think you were both critical and controlling in different ways. And yeah. I, I think that's like dad was more critical and controlling in terms of the like, you are going to have responsibilities and structure. And if you don't meet those responsibilities and structure, there will be consequences because that's mm-hmm. how the world works. Um, mm-hmm. And then you were more critical and controlling in the sense of like, you need to be perceived the right way by other people and you need to fit a certain, like, this is who you are and this is how you're going to be in the world. And this is how you're going to interact with people. And so there there were differences. You, you both had your ways of doing it, but definitely, definitely in different areas, I think. And again, not to say that all of that is bad because I think you definitely want to instill your child with a sense of structure. And I think you guys probably hit the right balance there, um, but then, when it comes to like self awareness and controlling a child's identity, I think that's where there was room to um, yeah. give me a little more leeway.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I just do want to say this may really turn a lot of people off because I know I'm actually in the minority on this, but um, we read a lot of parenting books. We studied child development and we decided very early on never to hit our kids. So when Jackie says there would be oh, consequences. Yeah, that's a big one. We studied trying to create real world consequences. Like if you did a certain thing, we would try to create a consequence like taking away a privilege or. Discussing something with you in a way that was aligned with a real-world consequence, because as an adult, when you make a bad choice, nobody's going to hit you. <laughs> and there's tons of research that says that that's way more harmful than effective in all the child psychology literature. So, I know I'm in the minority, believe it or not. Uh, the majority of parents still hit their kids, but I just want to say, since you mentioned consequences, might as well take this as
2: an opportunity to touch on that yeah. as well. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think I think hitting hitting your kids is something that goes back to a time when lots of things were okay, like hitting your wife and when raping your wife wasn't considered a rape because she was your wife and lots of violence in the house and in everyday life was normalized. So I think we should be perfectly comfortable as a society leaving, hitting our kids behind with all of those other horrible, violent things that we used to justify. And anyone who still clings onto that, I I really don't understand. I mean, you're just you're denying science, you're denying reality, and you're doing yeah. active harm to your kids and teaching them to use violence to solve their problems. So, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. So, we feel I'm glad you're in agreement with that, Jackie, because I've had many debates with people who are very much on the other side of that and think I'm absolutely crazy. So, there's it's nice when your kids are, adults. and it's illegal
2: to be clear. I mean, again, we've we have mo- in most states in the country, we have so moved past hitting our kids that hitting your kids is usually illegal. So if, if, yeah. if the idea that it's traumatizing and the idea that it's teaching them to solve their problems using violence is not enough for you, please do know that it's probably illegal to hit your kid and you shouldn't do it. And that a little tap is
1: included. Like if anything you wouldn't do to an adult, to another adult, your child is their own autonomous being in their body. You don't have the right to violate their body, even if it's a tap. If you wouldn't do it to an adult... It's non-consensual touch for a child and an adult, um, and even just a little whack is in that category. We feel strongly about that. So, all right. So moving on to the next one. Okay. I'm really curious about your thoughts on this, Jackie. (laughs) And this one comes from an academic term for uh, uh, describing an issue with parents and their kids, enmeshment versus independence and it's similar to control versus autonomy, but I feel really differently about it, especially now that you're 24 and your sister's 20 and she's away at college. I feel like looking back, I was very enmeshed in your lives. Like, I'll just be honest. I got a lot of my love, attention, physical touch. We were always very cuddly and close. And you know, now you're so independent. It's hard for me. It's like, I deeply miss that. You know, it it like brings tears to my eyes because we, you know, I mean, I don't know if you're okay with me saying, but we would all cuddle in bed and watch TV every single night, you, me, and your sister. And we always had our TV shows, long, long series like The Office. And when you got older, you know, and and I would scratch your backs and, you know, whatever, give you a little scalp massage. And I was very enmeshed in your lives. We spent so much time together. There was so much love and fun. And doing things together and playing games and going to the park and playing and, you know, all the things that parents do with their kids. So when you two like separated and became adults, it's been really hard for me to allow you your independence. And I'm reading in all these articles and I know that that's incredibly important. Like the boundary of your personal private life now that you're 24 and my role as your mother, I have
2: to honor that. And it's hard. What do you think about that? (laughs) It's a good question. I think it's really again, it's one of those things where it's a difficult balance. I mean, you don't you obviously want to have a close loving relationship with your kid and you wanna be there for them and you wanna be affectionate and you wanna, you know, teach them that it's okay to hug and to have physical Mm -hmm. affection and to Mm -hmm. like all those things it's its really important but at the same time yeah there's a certain point where the kid becomes an adult and like moves on with their life <laughs> and, and then yes. i think that that is as you said again i i really can't relate to this obviously but i i know that must be really difficult for parents and i think yeah it's, it's hard for me to give advice because it's not something that i can relate to but i think it's good to be close with your kids even if you know it's going to be difficult when they go away because i mm-hmm. i do think that it helps teach them to trust people and to love people and to be comfortable having close relationships with people. Mm. And and it's important to model that for your kids. Definitely. But yeah, always hard when they, when they grow up and go away for sure. Yeah,
1: no, that's helpful. That is helpful. I guess this is more for the parents, you know, and how to, you know, but your perspective is super helpful and it's helpful to the kids too, because I think some parents really cross that line and maybe I have as well like I come to visit you and stay with you and I I try to check in and be like you know is this okay like I don't want to come visit every weekend and <laughs> And be like, you're my best friend. You know, it's like we have to have our own lives and really check in and allow our kids to have whatever space they need. And I hope you feel and other parents are making their adult kids feel like they can freely say, look, I need more space. It's not cool, whatever. What do you think about that?
2: (laughs) I think that it's really, again, it's very subjective and it's very up to each parent and kids to kind of figure out what they are comfortable with. I think there's some people who, like, I know who their mom is their best friend and they, they hang out every weekend. And, like, I think we have something between that and never seeing yeah. each other or only <laughs> seeing each other once, twice a year, which a lot of people also have. I think right. we have something in the middle and that's what works for us. And it's it's really up to each parent and up to each kid to make sure that they're having open, honest communication about you know, how often they want to see each other and, and how much time they're comfortable spending together. And going from there, I think it's really, it's a very personal thing. It really depends that depends a lot on where you're at in your relationship with your own parents. Yeah. And do you feel you can be honest about that, Jackie? Oh, yeah, I think so. And I I, okay. I think it's also, I mean, I think I am always happy to see you. And I think that's probably part of we've always been very close. And I feel like, you know, while we have our occasional fights or conflicts or whatever, I I think those usually don't last. And we we have always wanted to see each other very Mm -hmm. often. So I think it's a mutual thing in that sense. And I think, obviously, I do set boundaries, like if I if I have plans, or if I'm Mm -hmm. working or something on a particular Mm -hmm. weekend, I will, I will tell you that. Mm -hmm. But I don't think And this is why it's different and it's hard for me to tell other people universally because I think we have a very open, healthy, trusting relationship. And so there's not really a time where I'm like, oh, I don't want to see you, but I do understand why other people would feel that way about their parents who don't have that relationship. And I think it's might be hard, really hard for those parents to accept that. But I do think it's important for parents to respect where their kid is at in their relationship with them.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And also, It's hard to say, but our kids are, once they're adults, they're not obligated to spend any time with us. And I have heard parents say things like, well, they owe me, you know, they, you know, I did all this for them and I, you know, provided all this for them and why don't they want to be with me? And it's like, that's not their obligation. Our relationship like that with our kids, they're obligated to be with us up until 18, 20, whatever it is. And then they have their own life.
2: I was just gonna say there's a lot of parents out there who expect their kids to not leave their hometown, to to always to always be there and to never leave that community and to support them um, for the rest of their lives. That's that's and that can be
1: a cultural factor. There can be cultural factors there as well, which we fully understand that, you know, but the parents and the kids have to figure that out and navigate, you know, often bicultural or multicultural communities and environments to figure
2: out what works for everybody, right? So well, again, yeah, a lot of this yeah. again, I, we just have to say how so much of this comes back to economic privilege and yes, yes. the fact that the fact that more thirty-year-olds than ever are living with their parents today mm-hmm. in America is probably mm-hmm. not a factor or probably not a result of most 30 year olds deciding with their parents that that's where they're at in their relationship and they really want to live with them it's a result of economic factors and it's a result of the insanely high cost of housing throughout the united states and the fact that corporations and venture capital firms are buying up most of the entry-level homes that people would have bought in previous generations uh creating middle-class wealth through home ownership and renting them out further cementing the upward uh redistribution of wealth in the country and the ossification of an oligarchy and plutocracy at the cost of any middle class that we used to have. And that's going to result in a lot more intergenerational households. And that's going to result in a lot more parents having to navigate more intimate relationships with their kids than they probably would have anticipated having into adulthood. And that is going to have a very real and already is having a very real impact on the lives of a lot of families in this country and throughout the world.
1: That's very true. That's very true. And wow, Jackie, you just spouted a lot of interesting information that could take us in a whole different direction. Maybe we should do a podcast about all of that sometime too. So yes, very important and very much a factor. Housing in the U.S. and the crisis that we're facing is something that you know a lot about and that I'd love to pick your brain on more. But on this topic, what we're getting into every everything you've shared like leads perfectly into the next topic that I wanted to talk about because we are all incredibly privileged you are i mean part of it's privilege but part of it is how you worked your ass off to be in the position you're in that you have your own home and you work very hard you've been very successful i know look you don't want to take responsibility but point being you're probably never going to live with us again <laughs> right? You're doing well enough. Well, you know? well, we'll see.
2: We'll see when the big one happens.
1: <laughs> okay. Right. If some catastrophe, I mean, I would love it. Honestly, I love when you're here in our home, but you know, you've set yourself up and that, that you're um, very independent and you're living on your own and you're living a six or so hour drive away. So we have this distance. So that was the next topic is like distance is how we manage the distance. And I, I feel, you can tell me if you're, you feel differently. I feel that some of our worst fights, have been over text mm-hmm. <laughs> and we can't just say, oh, totally. you know, just come over and let's talk about this in person. You know, we might be able to get on a zoom, but it's not the same, you know, virtual communication. is just not the same. I feel like I've texted you things, that I probably never would have said if you were with me and we were in person in a room together, you know, and so how do we navigate that distance as our kids are adults, or maybe our kids are like away for a time for the summer, whatever, for a program. And we're texting and we miss, you know, as a communication professor, we talked a lot about how nonverbal communication is like 70 to 80%. And that includes tone of voice. And pauses and all of this that we don't have in text, or
2: we lose a lot of it, even on the phone or over Zoom. What do you think? I actually think that you just identified, uh, and I'm not even kidding, I think you actually just identified a subject for a whole other podcast episode (laughs) because... I would love to do a whole episode and maybe if we can try to find someone with some sort of expertise, I know you have Mm -hmm. expertise as a communication Mm -hmm. studies professor, but someone maybe who studies more specifically the impacts of digital communication and social media and texting and zooming and all of these things on our lives, because I think that our tendency to filter our lives through social media and through our phones and through our computers is if not the central factor, one of the central factors in a lot of the division we're seeing in our world I, and a lot yes. of the, in our country and a lot of the breakdown in social cohesion and a lot of the radicalization and a lot of um, the yeah. harm to individual relationships that comes from that. I mean, when you, there, there's so many news stories out there about people who fell into a crazy, and this goes so far beyond just, I mean, obviously the basic level is that you would send things to someone in a text or a tweet or a Facebook message or whatever that you would never say to their face or even on the phone or on a Zoom. um, And that that really harms relationships in a lasting way. Then Then you go even further to the point where these technologies people fall down into these crazy QAnon holes and fall victim to these conspiracies and this paranoid Mm -hmm. worldview and Mm -hmm. and they lose relationships over it and i mean Mm -hmm. there's people who will go on the news and say yeah i can't i can't talk to any of my family members because they don't understand that joe biden is running a ring of pedophiles and everyone's in on it and then i'm trying to get the word out about it and I mean, that is real and that is all because of these devices and all because of this social media and all because Mm -hmm. of these algorithms that we don't understand or have any Mm -hmm. insight into whatsoever that are Mm -hmm. completely opaque, that are run by these multi-billion dollar corporations with no goal, but keeping you on their platform so they can advertise to you and make money off of you. It's, I mean, it's driving us into some sort of dystopia. It's very, uh, it's very brave new world, 1984 with the the ad and the ad thing in your room that you can never turn off. You can only dim yep, it. Yep. And that is having a real effect on our psychology. And I would love yeah. to do a whole episode on that because I think Absolutely.
1: it's um, and I've having seen a serious
2: impact on our relationships.
1: A hundred percent. And I've <laughs> seen those rifts between people. I've seen so many relationships and it's heartbreaking. It's so sad. And it relates so much to what we talk about as well, because there's so much misinformation about transgender people on all these platforms. Mm-hmm. And so all of the, not all, but so many of the haters and the people who, who are, are adversaries, as we talked about in the last episode, are getting this misinformation from these sources.
2: So it's incredibly One again, relevant. I just can't, can't say it enough that as much as Facebook and Google and YouTube and Twitter and all of these companies, TikTok and all of these companies might roll out their pride banners and might roll out all their philanthropic contributions to LGBTQ serving organizations. At the end of the day, they profit to the tune of billions of dollars off of that hateful content. And they intentionally amplify that hateful content because they know that conflict keeps people on their platforms. It engages people and it's more ad revenue for them. And at the end of the day, that's what they care about.
1: So Jackie, how do we navigate that we still need to use all these platforms to get our to get the message out about transgender school?
2: That's why I said this is a whole <laughs> other episode in okay. and of itself. I mean, my take okay. is probably a little bit more pessimistic than would be popular or productive. My, my honest take is probably that this is a, a death spiral that we don't come out of and that humanity ends up in some worse place because we now filter our lives through digital technology and that that's probably not going to end anytime soon because of the incentive structures that global capitalism has created.
1: And I I hear you on that. And I want to learn more on that. And I'm happy to talk more about it publicly and on the podcast. And for the time being, we still want you to be in our Facebook group and follow us on Instagram. Please do
2: join (laughs) our Facebook group. Please do follow us on Instagram and follow our Facebook page because our message
1: message is one of, of being affirming and Knowledgeable and educated about the correct information, and that's why we are transgender school and we have transgender school on all the platforms. But I, yes, I am terrified to Jackie's point of the potential for evil to be happening on all those platforms. And we see it, we see it with um, some of the responses that we get on social media. I think think it
2: was something like seven percent of kids in the United States who said that they've considered suicide traced that desire directly uh, back to Instagram specifically. But on that note, Thank you so much for listening. I think we've identified another great podcast topic. And I think we've had some really insightful discussions today about not just mother-daughter conflict, but parent-child conflict and interpersonal conflict in general. And especially as it relates to trans people, as it relates to parents and kids. And I hope that this was helpful for some of you out there. And I hope that I censored myself just enough that this is still semi-family appropriate.
1: You don't have to censor. Let's not censor ourselves, Jackie. I think we're beyond that. And I think everything you said was perfect. I learned from everything you shared. You gave me a lot to think about. And we want to remind you, uh, transgender school followers, please find us out there on all social media. Despite what Jackie said, we do want you to, which we do believe and I do agree with, we want you to follow us and be part of our community because we're trying to do good work in the world. You know, we are just announcing our video, our 90-minute Allyship, Transgender Allyship 101 video is only $10. We put so much work into that. $5 of that goes to Transforming Family, our support group, that which supports thousands of families who are learning about how to be affirming for their transgender kids and, and has support groups for the kids, for the parents, for siblings, everyone involved. Amazing support group, Transforming Family. We give $5 of every sale of that video of $10 to them, So once our costs are taken out and Vimeo and everything, we don't really get anything, Jackie, but we're getting the message out hopefully. And please join our Patreon membership if you can afford the $5 a month. We put something new in there every week, new content, videos, writing that we're doing, and it really helps us basically just to pay our costs. We have a lot of personal costs for transgender school because we have graphic artists, we have podcast producers, we have lots of things that we're just trying to reach more people and get the message out about transgender school. So we hope you enjoyed this podcast. We hope you'll support all our work and follow us um, on all the social media. And we'll be back next month. Our podcast is every month, first Tuesday of the month. We have one bonus episode in there and we may have more to come. And we thank you so much for your support and happy new year. This is going to come out first week of January. So happy new year. It's a new Thanks, year. Everyone. Great time happy new to Year!
2: start fresh Cheers and to- be an ally. <laughs> Yeah. Here's to not kicking off the year with an attempted coup. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks. Hopefully knock on wood. (laughs) Hopefully.
1: Oh my goodness. Wes, we'll leave you on that note. Hopefully it's off to a good start. Bye everybody.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to our transgender school podcast. We hope you learned something new and that you're inspired to learn more.
1: If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. And please be sure to check out our website, transgenderschool.org. You'll find many valuable resources there, including news about upcoming courses we'll be teaching.
0: Make sure to join us for future podcast episodes. We'll catch you on the first Tuesday of every month.